You are listening to Real Foot Forward, a West Tennessee podcast. This week's episode is made possible by ATA. Visit atacpa.net to learn more about the services they offer for individuals and organizations. ATA, your long-term accounting partner. Today's guest is Mayor Jake Bynum of Weekly County, Tennessee. And this is Scott Williams, the host of Real Foot Forward, where every single week we talk about the history, the people, and the culture of our home here in West Tennessee. I got a really special guest here on the podcast today. We've got Mr. Jake Bynum, who is the county mayor of Martin, Tennessee, right down the road. And when he was elected, he was the youngest county mayor and the first millennial mayor ever elected in Tennessee. Welcome, Jake. Thanks, Scott. Um, it's the Weekly County Mayor. What did I say? You said Martin, which is okay. Martin's in Weekly County. So. Okay. See, so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about what people don't know about city and county government in rural communities. So I just made the perfect example of that. I know we're going to, you're the perfect person to give us a primer on this. In West Tennessee, there are hundreds of little cities and counties and towns and villages. And so we're going to, we're going to get you to give us a little primer, but before we get to that, back us up to little Jake and uh, where'd you grow up? What was your life like? What, what made you, and at what point did you decide to um, become a uh, city leader? So um, little Jake, uh, one of the things I talk about uh, to a lot of people is, is that, um, this is either the most fascinating thing about worst thing about me, um, in the fact that I have lived and worked in Weekly County my entire life. So, uh, born and raised here, uh, went to high school product of the local school system here in Weekly County. Um, then went right over to UT Martin and got a four year degree from them and then went to work, uh, for, um, what was uh, first state bank, uh, now Simmons bank. Um, straight out of college, basically because those were the only people that offered me a job. Um, and so that's the reason I went to work for them, uh, but offered me an opportunity in my local hometown market. Um, and so from there, uh, went straight into what, the role that I'm currently in um, as county mayor uh, since 2014. Um, but little Jake, uh, like I said, grew up right here um, in Weekly County uh, in Dresden. Um, so that's that's really what home is to me. I went to, to school all through um, elementary, middle, and high school in Dresden. Uh, and then, like I said, graduated, went to Martin, spent four great years over there, uh, met my wife uh, after I had left Martin, but while she was still at Martin, she's originally from Dover. Um, and so we met uh, and had two of the cutest kids that you've ever met in your entire life um, who are now 10 and eight years old. Uh, Alyssa and I have been married just a hair over 10 years. Um, and she's a school teacher at the local elementary school here where my kids go to school. Uh, and so like I said, got into uh, politics. I was on the city board um, for uh, one term in Dresden. Uh, did that uh, from uh, 2008 to 2012. Um, and that's kind of where, uh, I won't say that's where the bug kind of bit me. Politics was already something I was kind of involved in um, and interested in. My family's had a long history in politics, not necessarily in public office, but in public service. 
um, and so kind of grew up in the business um, and then saw an opportunity when uh, had a discussion with my predecessor Houston Patrick, who interestingly enough, um, Scott, you mentioned that I, when I was elected, I was the youngest county mayor um, in the state. Uh, he was the second oldest county mayor in the state when he left office. He was 80 when he retired. And so, um, kind of, yeah, absolutely. Um, my assistant, who was his assistant, uh, kind of had a rude awakening. Um, I tell people, we went from an apple a day keeps the doctor awake to an apple operating system. Um, in a matter of 24 hours. Um, and so that was a new kind of event for her. Um, but uh, he was sort of talking about retiring um, and we saw a, a need in the community for new and fresh ideas. Um, and so just kind of took a leap, um, uh, almost a leap of faith and said like, we're gonna try and do this and now's a great opportunity um, and time to do it while there's a vacancy. Um, and so I've been doing that for now the last six years. Um, and I tell people every day, I've got the greatest job in the world. Can't imagine doing anything different today. So for people who get their entire uh, civic education from watching reruns of Park and Re Parks and Recreation, um, the TV show, what, what, what exactly do you do in your job? Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, one of the questions that we got most often um, when we ran that first time uh, is what is the county mayor and what do, what do they do? Um, county government is very different from state government or from city government uh, in the fact that there are not all these departments that sort of roll up into the county mayor. So when you think about county government, you think about the county mayor, the sheriff, the county clerk, the trustee, the register of deeds, property assessor, all of those sort of offices. All of them are independently elected. Road supervisors are another one of those, independently elected. Um, and so they don't answer to me, they answer to their, to their constituents because they're elected. Um, and so where city government has kind of all these departments where you've got police and fire and parks and those sort of things, where they kind of all are under the umbrella of the mayor and the city board. Um, we both have legislative bodies where counties have county commissions, cities have uh, city boards. Um, uh, and that is somewhat of the same kind of, kind of thing. Uh, state law requires that county commissions have a maximum or a minimum number of people where cities kind of that's left up to them and their own charters. Um, and so there's some, some real differences in the way that county government and city government work. Um, but as far as the county mayor position is concerned, um, so day-to-day uh, -day operations look, uh, and they can look different uh, depending on what county that you, that you look at, but uh, typically the county mayor is going to be involved in the overall kind of finance part of the county, um, whether that's directly or indirectly related. Um, but then I tell people my number one job is kind of the salesman of the county. It's my responsibility to go out, um, and kind of sell the county, whether that's through economic development, um, opportunities, prospects, uh, community events, um, looking to recruit people into the community, going out and telling people how great Weekly County is so that they make some sort of investment. Um, that's kind of my job and what I do day to day and how we kind of look at it. And sometimes that even looks like 
we're selling the county to those people that live right here inside of our bounds. Um, so we've got, you know, X, Y, or Z project going on. And this is why we think that it's beneficial for the county moving forward, but most importantly for the constituency. So how do you, how do you uh, handle the fact that there are people that, that you serve that live in the county that don't want things to change at all. They want them to stay exactly as they were five years ago. Yeah. So there's certainly this, um, this balancing act of um, how do you continue to progress um, and make this a place that people want to live here both today and in the future, while also honoring those people that have made that investment over the last several years. Um, and so that's what part of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis is look at uh, kind of where are we today um, and what makes the most sense. Um, you know, uh, I, we've got a fantastic road system here in the county. We've got a pretty large road system here. Um, every single road with the exception, exception of about three are paved here in Weekly County, uh, whether that's Tar and Chip or Blacktop. Um, that was a great investment at the time. Now looking back, it takes an extreme amount of money to maintain that road system. Um, uh, I, I congratulate our forefathers for making that investment, but what that has done is, is that's created a standard that now people expect that we sometimes have a hard time maintaining. Um, and so some of those, some of those things are decisions that we look at of like, what is the most advantageous way to move forward? One of those things that, um, that we are especially looking at right now is that broadband um, piece to, to infrastructure um, and how important that is. Um, and so we know that there's an importance to broadband. We know that to live and to work and to learn um, right at your home uh, is really important to people, especially outside the municipal bounds of communities. Uh, and so how do you do that in a way that uh, both you providing service for the citizens that live here while also providing infrastructure for potential citizens that may look to either stay or live or live here in the future, but also doing that in a cost effective way um, because broadband expansion is not inexpensive. It's actually very expensive, um, but also very much needed uh, and also needed to be done properly. Uh, and so putting in fiber, uh, is one of those things that I've been really passionate about for the last five years um, in a way to do that, especially for those rural citizens. Um, and there are some people that say like, I don't need internet at my house, um, but overwhelmingly the majority do. Uh, and sometimes you have to make decisions based on the majority, even though there is a group of citizens out there that says like, I'm not interested in that. And I don't think we should be doing that. Um, really what is best for the greater good and for the largest. You would think now more than ever, um, there's been an example of why broadband is so important for those kids who are having to go to school at their house. If they don't have good internet access, you know, they have to drive into town. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that we've seen, especially since we went back to school, um, and, and first let me say, like, I understand that in person, in class classroom learning is the most beneficial to a student's success. There's no question about that. You can see the data on that every single day, all day long. 
Um, the thing that we know, though, is, is that there are parents that are not comfortable sending their student um, to the classroom, um, that they are looking at other opportunities or ways to educate their child. Uh, they're uncertain about what kind of the future is in its present state. Uh, and so we have about 10% of our student population that is learning remotely through our local school system. Um, and so, right, we saw that in March, um, but at the time we were unsure and we were just trying to hobble along like all the other counties across the state were doing. But once we started back um, and kind of had a plan for both in, in classroom and virtual learning uh, at the beginning of the school year, it really was like, this is important. This is what we've got to do. And asking a parent or a student to drive into town to McDonald's and sit out in the parking lot is just not a solution for the long term. Um, and I think most importantly, what we're saying and why it's so important is, is that this will be opportunities that people probably will take advantage of in the future. That it may be a demand to say like, I'm not interested necessarily in in-class learning, but I do want to get the benefits of a local school system. And so is there an opportunity for us moving forward to offer curriculum outside the classroom while also keeping that student as a weekly county school system student? Well, and I think um, more and more, in addition to education and, and students, uh, colleges, uh, work, you know, we're all going to be Zooming you know, as I think we've discovered that Zooming is not horrible. And I think there'll be more of that. For our podcast, we used to, you know, ask people to come in personally and record it so the sound would be perfect. Now, you know, we've discovered that Zoom does work and it would work even better if everybody had really good uh, internet access. So um, um, talk me through, I know that, you know, you're the cheerleader for Martin. Talk me through how do you, how do you or how does someone in a position like yours um, go through change like all the change going on in Martin in the town square the, the library I was just there last night and the library is under construction when I heard there was going to be a library I just pictured a little library I didn't picture you know what is really going to be an anchor. Um, of the town that projects like that have got to be difficult to navigate through um, the political system. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So first, you know, um, I should, uh, I should mention that because that's a city project, um, there is kind of just this piece that we don't deal with on a day to day basis. So the funding of that certainly is not a piece that we had to deal with. That's, that's really a Martin piece. Um, but there is this, support aspect of it that that the county is kind of responsible for um not just for martin but for like you mentioned all of those communities inside inside weekly county so whether that's this project that's going on in dresden or this project that's going on in sharon or these these great big projects that that typically happen in martin just because of the nature of the municipality so how does the county navigate being supportive of those projects how does the county um sort of backfill that support uh so Interestingly enough, counties do put some funding in all of the local libraries, whether that's a county library like we have here in Dresden, or whether that's um, the city libraries like in Gleason, Sharon, Greenfield, and Martin. Uh, we put a little money in there just um, as a requirement by the state. But the other piece of that is, is like, 
how do you go out and how do you have conversations with people to say like, while that's not necessarily my project, this is why this is a good project, not just for the city of Martin, um, but this is a great project for the community as a whole. Um, and so that's that's a really interesting piece of how do you navigate all those communities? Um, because every single, every single thing that happens in a community is important to that community. Um, and so while, Dresden may be really invested um, in their Iris Festival, and Martin may be really invested in their Soybean Festival. Somebody in Gleason may not be necessarily invested in either one of those, but there's something in their community that they are invested in. And so trying to sort of bring those bring those groups together, have a conversation around what is good for one is good for all, um, and that gets really complicated. Uh, that's certainly complicated in the community development piece. Um, but typically, you know, communities understand like I do have the money to do this in my community. I don't necessarily have the money to do this in my community. You're not going to see the same kind of library in Sharon that you see in Martin. Um, where it does get a little complicated is that economic development piece of it because everybody wants jobs in their community. Um, and they think that it's really important to do that work. And it is uh, the thing that we look at from a countywide standpoint is, is when a, when a business looks at us an industry looks at us and says, I want to locate in weekly County, we've got to do our work to say like, this is the best place to do that for various different reasons. Uh, because Martin has a spec building available or Dresden has land available, or you're really, you need ball clay in your operation. And so Gleason is the place to go. Um, Greenfields on, you know, a couple of different um, high functioning rails. All of those pieces are pieces that we have to look at from a countywide standpoint, but then also go out and say, we made this investment for the good of the greater community and the entire county. Um, and you mentioned um, communication uh, to your constituents. Um, you know, you're a millennial uh, mayor who has access to and uses social media. Um, probably your predecessor was not tweeting a lot, probably wasn't posting on Facebook. Um, what, what do you see as the role in social media, both good and bad in, in your job? Yeah. So certainly, um, there are its positives and negatives. I think we see that more and more every single day. Um, one of the things that we realized really quickly is, is you've got to touch people where they are. Um, and so we have to use kind of everything that's at our disposal. Um, so sometimes we do that really effectively. Sometimes we wish we did it more effectively. Um, but we are doing Facebook and Twitter and Instagram while also doing all of the traditional media as well. So radio and newspaper um, and those sort of things. Um, and then we are a firm believer still in Weekly County of kind of in person uh, that the best thing to do is to, to communicate uh, the opportunities that are out there and then have those discussions in an in-person setting. Um, that, uh, again, that is kind of 
one of the things that I, that I think I do really well is kind of have a conversation with people. Um, and so we think that that's really important. Um, but obviously, um, Facebook and, and social media in general has its disadvantages. I mean, people now have the liberty to go out and say anything and everything they want to um, without any sort of filter, basically. Both a filter of, is it nice to say you know, that's, that's, that's my number one thing is, is like really and truly, I, I'm not going to say anything disparaging about anybody on Facebook or Twitter. I'm not going to try to anyways, that's, that's my goal. Um, but then the other piece of that is, is then is it accurate? Um, and that's really where we struggle um, on a day to day operation is, is what is accurate information to get out there and to share. So um, you're, you're leading in an era where there's a lot of dissension on, you know, two different sides, maybe multiple sides. You're dealing with a pandemic in which nobody can really agree on things. And there's a huge amount of racial strife and, you know, a lot, there's a lot going on. What, what uh, skills are you using as a leader that you didn't anticipate? Yeah, so obviously um, not everything is COVID-related um, and deals with the pandemic, but certainly um, what we've seen even around uh, this systematic racism and inequality and those sort of points, uh, while they were in existence prior to the pandemic ever coming on the scene, uh, what we know now is, is that what the pandemic did is also really highlighted these cracks in the foundation of, of communities. Um, and we deal with those uh, here, uh, even though sometimes people don't necessarily want to talk about them in a rural community. Uh, so one of the things that I've said from the very beginning, in, as far as the pandemic is concerned, is, is I'm not a medical professional. Um, there's nothing about me that should be advising people on what to do regarding their health. However, um, at some point, local leaders just had to take it and kind of wrap their arms around it the best they could. And so that's what we're doing here in Weekly County is, is we're trying to get as much information uh, from reliable sources, whether that's from the Tennessee Department of Health, whether that's the CDC, um, those sort of things, and disseminate that information on what is the best way to move forward through this time regarding the t pandemic, uh, citizens' health, the way they should start interacting with each other again, those sort of things. Um, and then having these conversations around all these other things. Um, and my job uh, and what we try to do, sometimes the biggest part of my job is to just sit down and be quiet and to listen. Um, that I don't necessarily have to be an active participant in every single conversation. What I do have to be an active participant in uh, is is in the listening piece of it is is understanding what people's perspective is where that's coming from potentially where they're going and what outcome they'd like to see uh, a lot of times when somebody has a conversation with me especially if it's something that i either don't deal directly with or have a hard time kind of saying like i can fix that is is at the end of the day if in a perfect world if you could have anything what would you like to see the outcome being in this situation um, and let people tell you really what they want. And then you can say um, as, a, as a local leader of, 
I don't know that I can deliver that, but I will certainly try and get us to a place that you're satisfied as well as lots of other people are satisfied. Now, obviously, I mean, you're knee deep in COVID right now and trying to deal with the the crisis in the middle of it. What do you think are some of the long lasting effects that we're going to feel five and 10 years from now because of the COVID crisis? Yeah, and I think that there are opportunities to both see good and bad. Um, you know, uh, I refuse to use the term new normal. I say this is our current normal. Uh, this is the way that we got to work um, in the current situation that we're in. But I do not think that this is, there's nothing about this that's normal. And so this is not new normal. Uh, I I don't know that we'll ever see really buffets come back um, ever again. Um, that's not necessarily um, a sad thing for me, but uh, certainly um, that could be an opportunity that people are sad to see gone. Um, what I do think, uh, I hope that we come out of this uh, with an understanding that um that local leaders don't have all the answers, um, that at times you're going to have to extend them grace as they have made decisions. Uh, I think there will be some really interesting conversations about what role does the government have in day-to-day -day lives of people. Um, that's, I think that we're going to see long lasting effects of that. I do think that, uh, the way that we educate, the way that we work, the way that we interact looks different. Um, and again, some of that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, one of the biggest struggles I've always had is, is trying to be everywhere at once. Um, and I may need to have a meeting in, uh, middle Tennessee, um, and then at night being an event in West Tennessee. And we've navigated that to the best of our ability. But now we see like, I don't necessarily have to drive to Nashville for an hour meeting, um, that there is the possibility that I can sit in my office and have that interaction um, and it be just as successful um, as if I were to be there in person while also continuing to serve my constituents here at the local, in the local community. Um, but I will say like, that is one of the things I miss the most is, is I don't love sitting in an office all day long, every single day. One of the things I've always loved about the job is the opportunity to be out and amongst people. Um, and so I do miss that. Uh, I do hope that we get back to hugs and handshakes and high fives and all of those sort of things. Um, but I think that for a period of time, we're going to be very leery of that. Um, you know, my hope is, is that we do see a vaccine um, and that it is successful and that this virus becomes much like the flu in the fact that it's manageable with therapeutics. Um, but we're just not there today. Um, something that um, we have in our uh, here in West Tennessee that I know you're very involved in or, or have been in the past um, that I'd love to hear you tell a little bit about is the West Star program. Um, can you, for a lot of people who've never even heard of that, can you tell us about it? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Westar is, uh, through the university of Tennessee at Martin, um, which we haven't really probably talked enough about considering that it's right here in my backyard. Um, and really kind of one of, if not the shining star of not just weekly County, but of all of West Tennessee, um, and really kind of the generator, um, for all success uh, in some form or fashion in West Tennessee. 
but the University of Tennessee's got a leadership program uh, called West Star. It's a West Tennessee leadership program that encompasses all 21 of the counties. So from all the way down to Shelby and river to river uh, has produced uh, uh, over 700 alumni, government, business, education, uh, all kinds of uh, areas of expertise um, that then allows those community members to go out, see other communities. Um, So it's uh, approximately a nine-month program uh, where participants go all throughout West Tennessee, look at communities, look at programming, look at opportunities, and then take that information back to their communities to make them a better place to live. Um, and uh, I just can't say enough great things about the work of West Star and the work that they've done over the last now 30 years um, since their inception and the amount of great leadership that they've produced um, over the over that 30 year period has been just phenomenal. Yeah, it's probably the thing people say to me the most is, "Oh, you should you should get involved in West Star and apply to to be in a in the class." So, um, I'm really looking forward to doing that in the future when they you know start back up uh, post COVID. Yeah, when they um, back up. Another another thing that going on right now that I think has uh, impact on uh, both city and county and certainly federal government um, is the census, which in a, no, in a normal year, you would hear all about it. And as a person who's super into ancestry, you know, I do understand the, the value of the census. But um, how does uh, the numbers that come back on that, how does that impact uh, city and county government? Yeah, so the census plays a huge part um, in kind of what we do uh, almost on a day-to-day basis um, for lots of different reasons. So the number one reason and the thing that we point most directly to is is funding. So uh, population uh, and the population in both the county and the city in which you reside has a lot to do with the number of people that live there um, and then the amount of those allocations. And so that's really important. We've seen that most especially uh, in the last several months. Um, So when you look at the money that the federal government sent to the state through the CARES Act, that then the the state determined that they were going to send to the local governments, that allocation came to counties and cities based on their population. And that, that number came directly from the Census Bureau. And so that became really important uh, when you start talking about money and how that money is going to get allocated. Uh, And you don't see that necessarily on the day to day, uh, but certainly you saw that almost a direct correlation between your census number and the money you got as far as CARES Act was concerned. Um, And so that makes it very finite. The other thing that we talk about is, is so both from a federal, state and local level, the amount of representation and what that representation looks like is directly related to the census. So county commissioners are gonna be tied to the number of people that live in a district. Uh, Your state representative and state senator are gonna be tied to the number of people that live in their respective districts. And then obviously, you know, Congressman Kustoff represents the eighth congressional district, and that is because of the amount of people that live in that district. Uh, And so, we really also point to the fact that it's really important to have your voice be heard. And as rural communities do start to 
to diminish in population, uh, their voice also becomes diminished to some extent um, because there's just fewer people representing rural communities. Uh, and so we think that it's really important for people to participate in that so that that voice is heard loud and clear, whether that's in your local county commission or whether that's at the federal level in Congress. With everything else going on, I haven't been paying attention to how it's going. Do they feel like the census is successful? When is being successful? One thing that that I wondered, you know, we're in an era where people try to trick you so often with junk mail and with emails, and and I just wonder, are people hesitant to fill things out and mail them in now, thinking they're being tricked? Yeah, I, I do think that there is almost uh, an across the board distrust now of lots of different things. Uh, what we've tried to do again is get correct information out to be very proactive about what that's going to look like. This year was the first time in the history of the census where individuals could go online and fill it out. We saw a lot of great self-reporting through the online service. Um, you know, obviously you have the mail-in option. Uh, and then just like always, if you don't do those things, um, somebody's gonna try and maybe make multiple attempts to knock on your door um, and ask you the questions uh, that are included in that census. Um, and we're seeing that work being done right now. Uh, we've had a relatively successful census considering all of the things that have we've kind of been up against. Uh, in making that be successful. One of the things that's really interesting for Weekly County um, and really any community that has a uh, four-year or an in-residence institution uh, in their community is, is the fact that those college students really are counted in our census population count um, because it's technically where you are on April the 1st. Uh, so obviously a lot of those students went back home uh, sometime in March because of COVID. Uh, they were asked to answer the census of where you would have been on April the 1st. Mm -hmm. um, the census also has done a lot of work with college campuses on determining like what in-residents would have looked like in April, potentially what students were not on campus um, residents, but were in the community. Uh, and so there's been a lot of great work done by the Census Bureau and then by our four-year institutions across the country on trying to get that correct information included in the count. I had not thought of that, but that, that would absolutely impact things pretty dramatically. I would think what, you know, what, I think what a lot of people don't really know or don't really um, understand is that folks like you do what you do because you want to serve the community. What can uh, people like me who are members of the community do to make your job serving us easier? So um, a couple of things. Uh, the number one thing is, is that, we really do want people to be engaged in the conversation. Um, we want people to participate in the process. Uh, we want to hear from citizens, whether that's on uh, their the situation that they've got on their road or whether that's access to broadband or whether that's how is your uh, local teacher handling your child in the classroom. We want to hear from those people. I don't necessarily have to hear from all those people because I'm not in charge of all of those things. Um, 
a lot of times people call and they ask questions and then we point them in the right direction of this is who you need to talk to about that. This is who handles that situation. But we do really think it's important for people to, to, to touch us in our office um, if they have a problem. Uh, we also love to hear the good stuff, the things that you, you think are going really well or the things that, hey, this is working really great in my community. You all should think about doing it over here in, in this community because I hear somebody's got that problem. Um, but the other thing that we really would love to see, Scott, is this kind of investment in public service. Um, I, I understand we've talked about today this, you know, kind of divisive nature around communities and certainly around politics, but really and truly, it's important to be a part of that process. Um, and we need good people doing that. You know, I've got a great county commission. I work with a fantastic group of county elected officials. Every single mayor that we've got in Weekly County is fantastic when you look at the municipal mayors. Um, but the thing that we need is, is more people involved in the process. We need people um, running for office. We need a more diverse group of citizens, whether that's diversity in age, in gender, in race, um, in uh profession. We need lots of different people sitting at the table having um, a conversation about what's good for our community. Uh, and that's something that we've been really passionate about over the last six years is, is getting more people interested in participating, whether that's school board, uh, city board, uh, county commission, or, you know, kind of these other elected positions. We think that that's really important uh, to be successful going forward is having this broad conversation uh, that's full of lots of different perspectives and voices. Fantastic. Um, thank you so much for your service to West Tennessee and thank you for being on our podcast today. I really enjoyed it, Scott. Thanks for the opportunity. And thank you for working to get us more um, high-speed internet access. I'm doing my dead level best. Thank you for listening to Real Foot Forward. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. Start planning your visit to Discovery Park of America by visiting discoveryparkofamerica.com. And also be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest updates.